Isn't it wonderful to hear the sort of innocent and simple, raw expressions of children around some of these important days? You know, John Stott once said that Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its very heart. If you remove it, Christianity itself is not true. It's destroyed. And so, my friends, it is wonderful to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with you today. The three days between Good Friday and Easter Sunday constitute the defining moment in human history. And I can say that with confidence because of where Jesus fits into God's big picture plan for our life in this world. In the vast expanse of the universe, throughout the ages of time, the glorious and mysterious God has had a purpose and a plan. And in his son Jesus, we see the center point. He has a specific place in that plan. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes together this morning. I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me and to open to Hebrews chapter 1. You can find Bibles in that pew in front of you or if you're in the front row underneath your pew there. Hebrews chapter 1 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because in it we see about this person of Jesus in his majesty. We see the significance of his victory over death. And we see why it's so important for us to celebrate him, this, this one who gives us new life. As you're turning, go ahead and grab a Bible. It's on page 1002. Open your Bible to the middle, head right, and meet me in Hebrews chapter 1. Four short verses. Eight claims about who Jesus is or what Jesus does. And I think that we can distill those down rightly into three sort of summary statements. Hebrews chapter 1 is found on page 1002. And this is what it says in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. A majestic summary or picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And as we look more carefully at it together, I have two aims for us this morning. Number one, very simply, as is appropriate on Easter Sunday, to exalt this Jesus as the risen king. To cause 
a new or a fresh perspective of him in our minds. Number two, to show you from this text why he is necessary for your life with God. And we see that here in Hebrews 1. So how does Jesus fit into God's big picture? Well, the first summary statement that we can give is that in Jesus, God speaks to us. One of the struggles of our human existence is to find, to really find that right direction, that right agenda for our lives. To find guidance for the few short years that we have here on this earth. And it might sound funny to you, but I talk to people with some regularity who have a pretty significant amount of fear regarding making these big picture life decisions all alone, all by themselves. They want guidance. They want to hear God's voice. Many have sought to hear God's voice in a variety of ways in all kinds of places. I had two such conversations this week. One gentleman was describing to me a season of his life where he was really seeking God's direction for his life. And he believed anyway at that time that a bird flying over a building, making a certain noise at a certain time, was a sign from God to him. Another one, one of my good friends sent me a text message just a few days ago. And he said, I had the strangest dream last night. I had a dream that you invited me to come and lead worship and to preach on the same Sunday at Old North Church. He doesn't lead worship or preach. And so I said to him, well, what do you think it means? He goes, I don't know if it was God trying to tell me something or if it was the Doritos that I had before I went to bed last night. People look for God's, or listen for God's voice in all kinds of ways. And the desire to hear God speak is good. That's a good desire. And God does indeed speak to us in different ways. But where do we turn when we have a hard time deciphering his voice? To who do we turn with a clear word? Throughout the Old Testament, this text reminds us in verse 1 that God used to speak through the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Let's make a couple of observations. Number one, he says, inter interestingly to us, that these last days... That is to say, there are multiple periods through human history, and we are in the last one. And God speaks differently to us now than he used to speak to our forefathers. Human history is moving toward its terminal end. He doesn't say when that's going to happen. But it highlights the urgency for us to get this right, these most important realities of life and how we relate to God. And here's the good news. If you feel distant from God, if you want to know him more, if you're seeking his desires for your life, if you want guidance on how to conduct yourself, if you want your priorities to be God's priorities, turn to Jesus. Because in Jesus, God speaks to us. 
And that's why it's so important that we find his words in the New Testament. And even though he won't tell you whether you should buy this car or that one, he won't tell you if you should take this job or that one, he won't tell you if you should date this boy or that one, the framework that Jesus gives, God speaking to us for this life, that framework gives us all the guidance that we need to make decisions that are ultimately pleasing to God. When it comes to knowing God, Jesus is supreme. Not only does God speak to us through him, but secondly, we see in this text an even greater benefit. That in Jesus, God is with us. God speaks to us, yes, but in Jesus, God is with us. And this is perhaps the center point or the highlight of this passage. And there's two statements that make this clear. Look with me at verse 3. He says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. That is to say, radiance is something that emanates from a source. It's not merely a reflection of God, but he radiates glory from the source of God the Father himself. And in so far as he does this, he is supreme with God in this way. He is a manifest presence of God. And this is why Jesus is called, many places in the Bible, the light of the world. Secondly, we see that he is, in verse 3, the exact imprint of his nature. The word imprint here is interesting. It's the word that's used in the ancient world for stamping an image. They, back then, like we do today, they stamp an image of someone on a coin, an imprint. And in this way, you would see the likeness of someone, maybe even someone that you haven't seen before. But the way that Jesus represents God is not simply that of an external or visual representation. Because Jesus is the imprint of his nature. The essence of God the Father is found in his son, Jesus. So much so that to see Jesus, his son, is to see what the Father is like. You know, the idea of physically seeing someone and knowing what they're like, particularly someone important, has always been a point of curiosity for me. It's not enough to see someone from a distance. It's not enough to see someone on television. When people are given the chance to see somebody and see what they're like in person, many people jump at that chance. A couple years ago, Amy and I were having lunch in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Amy and I, for those of you that don't know, moved here this last year from Cape Cod. And one day, Amy's sister was visiting us on the Cape. We decided to spend the day on the island of Martha's Vineyard. And as we walked around in the morning and, and 
took in the sights and enjoyed a beautiful summer's day, we decided it was time for lunch. And so we found a restaurant in a town called Edgartown. And we were seated way near the back of the restaurant where there was no windows. We took our time having a nice conversation with Amy's sister. And after about 90 minutes or so, we paid our check and went to move on with our day. And as we moved to the front of the restaurant, we noticed a stir was about. And as we stepped outside, we realized that the streets were packed with people. Hundreds and hundreds of people. And four large blacked out SUVs. And so I saw somebody standing outside on the sidewalk and I poked him on the shoulder and I said, hey, what's going on? This place has radically changed in the 90 minutes we were inside. And he said, oh, you haven't heard. Well, President Obama is having lunch with his daughters in the cafe across the street. And immediately, Edgartown was radically changed. What struck me about that was all of these people had seen him before, at least on TV. And all of the people there knew that they would not have any meaningful, if any, interaction with him at all. That he would come out of the restaurant with his daughters, he'd get right into an SUV, and he would drive away. And yet the idea of seeing him and getting a glimpse of what he might be like was compelling enough for these hundreds and hundreds of people to spend their entire summer afternoon in Martha's Vineyard waiting that he might come out of the restaurant and they would get a glimpse. I think there's something in us that naturally desires to know what's most important. I think there's something in us that naturally wants to see God, but beyond seeing him, I think it's natural for us to want to know what he's really like. And there are a lot of different places people try to figure that out. But when it comes to knowing God, Jesus is supreme. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of his glory. And that is why it is so important that when we seek to know him, we seek to know him through this person of Jesus. That's why we engage with him in the Bible. That's why we see what he did and what he said. And when we read it and when we experience it, God's spirit continues to mold and shape our thoughts and our minds of who God really is and how God really works. That's why you hear it taught on Sunday mornings in churches like ours. It's why we have Sunday school classes. It's why we have small groups. And if you're here today and you don't have a church home, but you want to know God, let me encourage you. The way that you know God is through this person of Jesus. And the way that you get to know him is by learning and growing in him with a group of people, like the group of people here or at other Bible-believing churches, who point us to this Father. Not only do we see that God speaks to us through Jesus, it gets better. God is with us in Jesus. And it gets even better. Because in Jesus... God is for us. And this is the third thing that we see in this text. Jesus shows that he was active in creating us. If there is an action that shows he's for us, how about the fact that he made you? Verse 2 tells us that 
Through Jesus, God created the world. Jesus was the foreman of this cosmic divine construction project that we have called our world. Because he created us, we see also, and you can imagine that he would have the vested interest in making sure that we succeed, that we do well for a life with God. And therefore, not only did he create us, he also redeemed us. When things went off track, when things went awry, verse 3 points to this reality of what we celebrate on Good Friday. It says that he made purification for sins. It was only something that he could do because he himself was a pure and sinless one. Now I know how easy it is for us to overlook the significance of our own sin. I know how easy it is for me. Sin comes very naturally to us. It's easy to let our lives in some ways be overcome or defined by the sin that we have. I see it in myself. I see it in my friends and my family. And it's easy because it is so common to think that it's not that big of a deal. That's just fine. It's just part of who we are. But the more I get to know God, the more I understand him to be in his rightful place as the mysterious but holy and just and awesome God of the universe that's perfectly pure in his being, the more I realize that my sin really does separate me from him. There's a huge disjunction between who God is and who I am. And that is a chasm that I cannot overcome. But Jesus did. Because he made purification for us. And that tells us something about who God is, doesn't it? Not only does God want to be with us, but he made the way for us to be with him for eternity. And this is where the events of Good Friday to Easter Sunday become even more important because the purification that Jesus gives, that payment was satisfactory to God, but the resurrection... The fact that Jesus rose from the dead changes everything because it guarantees it to be adequate. And what that tells us about Jesus is that he's not just interested in being with us for a short moment. He's not just interested in being with us and making payment in some sort of half-hearted or even temporary type of way. But in Jesus, we see That he is interested in being with us throughout eternity. There's no power over him. He was indeed the best possible mediator for us. Now think about this with me for a minute. Think about what it would have been like to be one of his disciples for the three years that Jesus walked the earth. To hear him teach in person and as you heard him to experience the very voice of God himself to see with your eyes the fact that he healed a blind man that he cast out demons that he knew things about people 
that he should not have been able to know. The fact that he fed 5,000, the fact that he walked on the water, the fact that he stilled the storm. And every single time he did one of these things, and every single time you heard him open his mouth again to teach, you had that overwhelming sense within you that you were in the presence of God. Some of you know that overwhelming sense. You've experienced it. Maybe even for a fleeting moment. But if you know it, there is absolutely nothing like it. Now imagine having that sensation for three straight years. But the plot twists. The story turns. And all of a sudden, this one who you think you're hearing from God and seeing God's works, all of a sudden this one is arrested and he's crucified and now he's dead. He's in the tomb. And you ask yourself the question, was any of this even real? How could this possibly be? I don't know. I mean, I thought I saw God, but now, I don't know. I thought I heard God's voice, but now, I don't know. I thought I understood an aspect of God's plan, but now, I don't know. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. The tomb was empty. And now all of the questioning of who he is and what he said and what he did, all of the questions begin to dissipate because the resurrection guarantees them to be true. Yes, in Jesus, God speaks to us. Yes, in Jesus, God is with us. Yes, in Jesus, God is for us. In all of these ways, Jesus fits in to God's big picture plan for the world, for you, for me, and for how we relate to him in eternity. And in this text, we see a few of the implications of the resurrection. Verse 3 tells us that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that for a second. I mean, how powerful is your word? I have to tell my four-year-old three times to wash her hands after dinner until she'll finally do it. That's how powerful my word is. But even the most powerful people in our world, a president of a first world country, can start a war by giving commands with their words. Janet Yellen, the chairwoman of the Federal Reserve, can spend the global economy spinning by the power of her words. But even they, even they hold nothing against the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is guiding human history toward its intended purpose, and he's doing it by his word. Oh, and by the way, it's that same word that he uses to speak to you and to me. It's the same word that when we hear it talked about, when we read it, changes our lives eternally as we respond to it. 
in faith. And this is part of his resurrection power. Secondly, we see the implications of the resurrection in that second part of verse 3. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His position is not one of subordinate to God the Father. He is not in the heavenlies kneeling before him. He is not standing behind him as one of his servants. He is seated next to him in a position of reigning right alongside of God the Father himself. My friends, when it comes to knowing God, Jesus is supreme. And on this Easter Sunday, we proclaim together in some ways, we want to know him. We want to know God. Not just know about him, but to really know him. And you can have all the benefits of hearing from him, of knowing what he's like, and even having him advocate for you. And it all comes in this person of Jesus. And the resurrection guarantees it all to be true. When it comes to knowing God, Jesus is supreme. And so how do we respond? The Bible tells us that our response to this supremacy of the Savior is found in the invitation to put our faith in him and to follow him. And again and again and again, the Bible gives an invitation to put our faith in Jesus. This invitation at its core is a humbling of ourselves, recognizing that he is God, we are not. (laughs) That we are sinful and need to be forgiven of our sin. Of yielding the desires for the course of my life to him. And trusting that he can indeed forgive And overcome this chasm that I cannot. For some of us, we've accepted this invitation. We've put our faith in Jesus. And therefore, Easter Sunday for us is the most important day of the year. Well, it's not just the most important day of the year. It's the most important day in human history. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, this changed everything. For some of us, we've accepted that invitation, we've put our faith in him, but over the years, we've experienced hurts, pains, we've veered off course, and God feels now like a distant or abstract being. And if you're here today and you're in that place, the call for you on Easter Sunday is to know that in this person, Jesus, You find the love and sacrifice of God for you and he speaks to you and he wants to be with you and he's even for you. And therefore the call is to recommit yourself in faith to him. And still for some of us, we've heard this invitation before. And maybe we weren't ready for whatever reason. But maybe today we are. I was at a Cavaliers game the other night with a few friends, and about halfway through the game, one of my friends asked if he could buy me something to eat. I'd already had dinner, and so I was looking at what they had available, and it was all fairly expensive, and so I said, no, no thanks. 
And so he picked up the menu and he started looking. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I will get a little something. And he asked again, are you sure you don't want anything? I'm going to get a pretzel. You want a pretzel? I said, uh, no, no thanks. And he looks at the two other guys we're with and said, you guys want anything? I said, yeah, we want a pretzel. I want a pretzel. All of a sudden, they're all three getting a pretzel. And he looks down at me and says, hey, we're getting pretzels. You want a pretzel? That does sound kind of good. Nah, I think I'm okay. And we're sitting in one of those sections where the waitress comes down and she takes your order. And so she comes down and, and looks down the aisle and looks at my friend and says, hey, we're getting three pretzels. You sure you don't want a pretzel? I said, oh, nah, no, no, that's okay. And five minutes later, three pretzels show up. And sure enough, they pass them down the aisle. And the first guy gets his pretzel. And the second guy gets his pretzel. And my friend gets his pretzel. And I'll tell you what, it smelled really good. And he goes, don't worry, I'll give you half of mine. And I said, no, 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 I'm fine. Sure enough, we watched the game. And ten minutes later, he's three quarters of the way through his pretzel. And he nudges me in the shoulder and he says, hey, that was a great shot. This pretzel is really salty. Are you sure you don't want to try it? And I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll try it. And he goes, ah, I knew I'd get you sooner or later. And I thought to myself, I just wish I would have accepted his invitation a lot sooner. I wasn't ready for whatever reason. You know, for some of us, it takes multiple invitations, <laughs> whether it's as something as trivial as an overpriced pretzel or something as significant as the most important decision of our life, which comes with whether or not we will put our faith in Jesus. And if you're here today and you have not made that decision, to ask Jesus into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins. I want to give you that invitation yet again. If God is tugging on you that today is the day for a real relationship with him, you need to know that he loves you, that he wants to be with you in eternity. And when it comes to knowing God, Jesus is supreme. In a couple minutes, we'll close our service, and I'll ask Pastor Chris and the worship team to come back up at this time. As we sing the last song together, as we proclaim the victory over the grave that Jesus has attained, as we look at how it guarantees these things of our relationship with God. And if you're here today, you want to recommit your life to Christ or you want to put your faith in Christ for the first time, when this service is over, I'll be standing over here. I'll ask Jason and maybe a couple others to stand over here. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you. Let us meet you where you are and point you to Jesus. With that, my friends, let's stand and let's sing of this resurrected Savior. He is most worthy of our praise.